0: Ah, oh, hello there. Welcome back, dear listeners. I do hope you're enjoying the Battle of Boggle so far. The endgame is in sight, and oh, what an endgame it promises to be. So let me stop Twitter twattering along, and let's get on with it. I believe we're on Chapter 14, Training and Tactics. Two days to go, and we need to get shipshape. We need to turn ourselves into a well-oiled, lean, mean, food-fighting machine. Training after school, 4pm on the AstroTurf. "'Alex said to the assembled team. "'However, 4pm came and went, but no pinky. "'The others got to work dodging and ducking and diving and dipping. "'The chuckers chucked and the blockers blocked "'and little Izzy Whiz sped around as fast as she could, "'keeping the ammo supplies up and being the voice of the team. "'Ed, move your head! "'Alex, ball to the left of me! "'Jenny to your right! "'Shoot down the middle, will you?' "'Some of the Year 6 kids had put up large posters "'of George and Gina Dismal's photo on for target practice. "'Alex's arm was strong and accurate, as was Jenny's, and Big Ed didn't drop a thing. It was looking good, but there were only four. They couldn't win with four. What are we going to do? I knew it was a bad idea having Pinky on the team, said Alex. She'll be here, said Joe. And anyway, you need her. Not only is she the toughest kid in Lesser Boggle, George Dismal has a mad big crush on her. He once tried to kiss her in the park and she kicked him in the peanuts. Hasn't put him off, though. He still goes all doughy-eyed when he sees her. He'll have a real problem throwing anything at Pinky, and that makes him vulnerable. And with ten minutes left of the training session, Pinky walked around the corner fashionably late in it she said now give me some balls i want to smash up some targets pinky strode onto the astroturf picked up a bucket of tennis balls and threw them at the faces of george and dina dismal every one of them hitting them on the nose bullseye training's done declared pinky i'm good to go and off she walked as the others stared open-mouthed in disbelief okay so let's run through what we've got it was the day before the battle and Alex and his team were at the battleground, filling their barrel with the help of classmates and parents. We've got six pineapple porridge bombs. Make sure the lids are firmly on. Do we have the two super soakers full of pea and potato soup? Yes, boss. I made it myself, said Big Ed, with a mischievous grin. Thanks, said Alex. OK, we've also got a plethora of painted pink potatoes, parsnips and pears, pig's ears, pig's tails, pepper pig. What's that doing in there? Pea and purple paint water bombs, five pizza surprises, ten porcupies, and Auntie G's lethal Pakora. I think we're ready, said Alex, who for the first time felt nervous, like there were butterflies breakdancing his stomach. Let's talk tactics, Alex said. Jenny's going straight in with the Pakora first up. You'll need gloves on for those, Jenny. Take them out wide and angle in so as not to cover Big Ed and Pinky with the chilli dust. Izzy, I want you to take two pineapple bombs to Big Ed and Pinky. They'll need to start off blocking, but if the Pecora hit their targets, they should have the chance to let them rip. Then take the super soakers and place them on the floor near the ditch, one at either end of the area. Then come back to the barrel and keep Jenny and I stocked up with ammo. Oh, and Izzy, try not to get hit. Yes, Chief, said Izzy enthusiastically, saluting like she was a private in the army. If she was in an army, it would be the oddest group of soldiers anyone ever did see. I'll start off with some of the hard stuff, like pork pies and pears, and if I get the chance, I'll follow up with a pineapple bomb, said Alex. Then what, Chief? said Izzy. Then we wing it. Dad says nothing goes to plan at Dodge Battle. Expect the unexpected and never give up. Back at number four, Badger's Bottom, things were not going well as Alex returned home. Stay clear of your brother. He's having one of his little temper tantrums, said Mama G. I think he might have just lost a game of battleships to Little Pete. I'm going to make him some of his favourite mini pancakes to cheer him up. That usually does the trick. Alex looked out of the patio door window and saw Joe, red in the face, shouting at no one in particular, smashing a jar of some sort onto the compost heap, kicking the air and wagging his finger. Alex was sure he heard him shout, You owe me one! You owe me one big time! But to who was anyone's guess? He really was quite upset about something. After a few minutes and having calmed down a bit, but not a lot, Joe gingerly slid open the patio door and tiptoed into the living room, trying not to be seen, not realising Alex was home and watching TV. "'What's up, little bro? Did you get your butt kicked by Stinky Pete, or whatever his name is?' "'It's mad, Pete, and I'm mad at him,' Joe spluttered. he got it wrong. He couldn't follow my simple instructions. He forgot to carry the one. "'Thought he was too clever to use a calculator, didn't he? "'He used too much special sauce, not enough g fight Disaster! Disaster! "'All ruined. The optometron and hyperdrive will never work now. Ugh! "'What on earth are you talking about?' Alex said. But he didn't listen to the answer. His attention had been diverted to Power Rangers or some other nonsense on the TV.' Never mind, I've just had an idea, said Joe, rushing outside once more. Five four to Bertie's, squawked Jabber. But no one heard him, except Ted, who wasn't interested. Ted was busy chewing a juicy bone and thinking that if he gave Jabber a good licking, maybe he would let him chase birds. Hang on, dearies, I've just thought of another joke. What do you get when you cross a parrot and a centipede? Wait for it. A walkie talkie? Get it? Oh, oh, I should be a comedian. My talents really are wasted on narration. Anyway, must continue. Chapter 15, The Inspection. There are two things you need to ask, said Joe. The first is to get the inspector to confirm that anything or anyone found in the playing area can be used. Got it? Anything or anyone. Yes, got it, said Alex. Anything or anyone. What's the second thing? Question the safety at the edge of the ditch. Get him to check it. Say it looks dangerous. Alex looked quizzically at his little brother. What are you up to, he said. Trust me, Joe said. Alex nodded. He did. The inspection took place at 11am, one hour before the battle. Both teams were present, but only the captains took part. The inspector was a much honoured position, held in high esteem across the boggles. This year, the inspector was a 70-year-old man called Horace Youngfellow, who wore a patch over his right eye and walked with a pronounced limp and the use of a walking stick. Horace had been at St Bertie's Donkeys years ago which is a bit longer than a human year and a bit hairier and a bit stinkier. The inspector was supposed to be fair to both teams but rarely was, usually favouring one team or other. As St Bertie's had won last year's battle they got to choose the inspector and they had chosen Horace. He was sure to favour his old school and soon it became apparent how. White lines had been painted in the shape of a giant rectangular box on either side of the ditch to mark the pitch. All players in the battle had to stay within the lines. Step outside and the player would get a splodge. The boxes were supposed to be equal, but it was clear to the sharp eye that the St Cuthbert's box was a little smaller. They had less space to play with and less space to hide. And then there were the objects. Alex found a butterfly net and an old wooden tennis racket. Alex could see that George Dismal had done a lot better, holding aloft a baseball glove and a big plastic repular Captain America shield. Several metres behind the white lines were the roped-off area, and further back still were the bleachers, the stands that would be filled with the entire villagers cheering their team on. The whole of Boggle would come to a complete standstill for the battle. Every shop would be shut, and they even turned off the internet and mobile network so the kids would get off their phones and stop taking selfies and playing Clash of Clans and Snap Chitter Chattering, or whatever it's called. The last thing to inspect was the battle barrels, to check they were full and ready to go and hadn't been tampered with. Right, any questions? muttered Horace, young fellow, assuming there would be none. George dismal grunted and shook his head. Just two, chirped Alex. Firstly, can you confirm that we can use anything or anyone within the white lines of the pitch? Yes, yes, of course. What a silly question. Haven't you ever seen a battle before? Well, no, actually, said Alex. I didn't move to this oddball village last year. And the second question, demanded Horace. Go on, spit us out. I haven't got time for this. I want to go for hot chocolate with some of those mini marshmallows. I do love them, mallows. I thought the ground looked a little unsafe by the ditch. Over here, a little dangerous, a little dodgy. Let me show you, Alex said, leading Horace towards the ditch. Out of the corner of his eye, Alex saw Joe quickly walk across the battle pitch, stopping momentarily to tie his shoelaces and then scuttle off before anyone could notice. What's he up to, Alex thought to himself. What? Unsafe? No, no, that is perfectly fine. We're not bothered about health and safety here, laddie. Just don't get too close. If you fall in, then that's your own fault. Just watch out for those piranhas. They can get a bit nippy. (laughs) Ha ha, toodle pip. See you in an hour. I have some mallows to guzzle. And off hobbled Horace. Did you know, readers, that marshmallows... Uh, were originally enjoyed in ancient Egypt. As early as 2000 BC, the treat was considered very special and reserved for gods and royalty. It was made from the mallow plant that grew wild in marshes. I don't understand how it got its name then. Anyway, fact bomb. Chapter 16, The Tradition. The battle starts with the tradition. It was 11.59am. It was a dry but cool spring morning, with the warmth of the sun occasionally piercing through the clouds. The early morning breeze had disappeared as if Mother Nature herself was taking a break to put her feet up and watch the big match. It was perfect conditions for chucking. The clock struck twelve. As he had been coached, Alex made his way to the banks of the Devil's Ditch. Alex was wearing the dark blue colours of St Cuthbert's with pink sweatbands at Pinky's insistence. The rest of the team sported pink hairbands. Even Big Ed Head had his long floppy hair tied back and pink sunblock beneath their eyes. Pinky also had a pink visor on and looked like a human Barbie doll, only a lot more dangerous. George Dismal, dressed in an all-green shirt, short and socks combo, or was it aqua blue, did the same from the upper side, looking down on the year three kid who dared to challenge him. They stood facing each other. You could hear a pineapple drop, as Miss Lush would say. Or was it porcupine? Alex bent down and picked up the ceremonial ball of rhino dung don't worry kids, he had gloves on for this bit and gently threw an underarm across the ditch so it landed in front of George Dismal's feet. We challenge you, Alex said, and made the best team win. George took the egg from his pocket, which tra- tradition dictated he should gently throw back in return to accept the challenge. Challenge accepted. You're so going to get it, chump, sneered George. It's baby bashing time and with that, George threw the egg far stronger than he should have towards Alex. Alex had to move a step to the right to avoid it as it flew past his shoulder and nestled behind him unbroken on a lush tuft of grass. Bring it on, Donkey Kong, said Alex. Alex was feeling nervous now, nervous but excited. It was nearly time. As he had been instructed, he turned around and walked back towards his team to face the silent stands full of lesser Boggle supporters, and as tradition dictated, he stopped, and then he shouted. He shouted at the top of his voice of all his might, Who are we? He took two more steps forward. Who are we? He shouted again, even louder, into the silent arena. As one, all of the lesser boggle supporters rose up from their seats and locked arms with the person next to them. Looking straight ahead, with pride in their heart and a tear in their eye, their feet started stomping. Thud, thud, thud. And then together, as one, they shouted out the school war cry. Cuckoo for Cuthbert! Shake, shake, shake! Cuckoo for Cuthbert, shake, shake, shake! Cuckoo for Cuthbert, shake, 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 shake! Who are, who are, who are we? Lesser! Boggle! Lesser! Boggle! Less is more! Yes, it's more! The crowd screamed and shouted and whooped and hollered and stuck out tongues and pulled funny faces. From the upper slopes the chant of Green Machine! Green Machine! rose up from the great Boggle supporters in response. They also pulled funny faces. The battle was almost ready to start when all of a sudden Horace Youngfellow came limping out onto the pitch looking red-faced and flustered and extremely cross. Health and safety! Health and bloomin' safety! What is the world coming to? Some old busybody's only gone and complained to the council that the battle is dangerous. What a load of stuff and nonsense! Never did me any harm. That's why I have two everything. Two arms, two legs, two eyes, he muttered, pointing to his eye patch. Anyway, the powers that be say so you got to wear these as a year six kid passed out safety goggles to both teams. Bloomin' Elf and Safety, he muttered again, shaking his head as he limped off to take his position at the inspector's box. Oh no, said Jenny. The Pecora, they won't work. Don't worry, Alex said. It'll take more than a pair of safety goggles to stop Auntie G's Pecora. Take your positions, everybody, boomed Horace. It was time. Both teams deployed one blocker near the ditch, Big Ed for St Cuthbert's and Barry ba- Bateman for Bertie's. The rest of the players gathered around their respective barrels, waiting to grab their foodie weapon of choice as soon as the horn went. Let's have a fair battle, and remember, three splodges, and you must leave the field of play immediately. Cuthberts, are you ready? Berties, are you ready? Alex put up his hand to confirm he was good to go. He looked across the slope, and George Dismal did the same, but only after Gina had given him a slap in the face and told him to concentrate. Alex caught the eye of Lola Lashington, and was sure he gave him a little smile and a wink in return. Three, two, one, Battle! The horn sounded and the chaos began. Now, on to chapter 17 and the battle finally commences. But before that, a joke. What do you call a round green vegetable that breaks out of prison? An escapee? Get it? Escapee? Right, anyway, I know you don't want these silly jokes. Let's get on with the battle. Chapter 17, Let Battle Commence Alex grabbed a pot of root vegetables and peeled off to the side to begin the onslaught. Pinky, ignoring the game plan, grabbed a pineapple and a super soaker and charged for the ditch. Izzy took the other super soaker to Big Ed and came back for a pineapple bomb. Jenny grabbed the box of pakora and sprinted to the right flank, removing the Tupperware lid as she ran. Out of the corner of her eye she saw missiles flying through the air towards where she had just been standing. She thought they looked like green fish. Pickled perch! she heard someone from the crowd shout. Jenny, her hands covered in Granny Duck's pink washing-up gloves, removed two of the small round vegetable snacks from the box and threw them towards the St Bertie's blockers, Gina and Batman. The smell hit her like a curry-flavoured bus crashing into a curry factory and setting off a curry bomb. She grabbed two more and took aim at the chuckers, George and Lola. The final two she sent towards the barrel where Jimmy Zinger, the nippy Year 3 float, was restocking his bag. The first two throws missed their target, but the third smashed into the barrel, sending up a cloud of chilli dust. Jimmy Zinger had sped off, but George was nearby and the chilly cloud hit him hard. He didn't know where he was and what he was doing. He was walking around in circles, dazed and confused. Alex had been waiting and took his chance, launching a pink potato that hit George full on the bottom. That's a splodge, said the year six kid, who ran out and put a dollop of paint on George's vest. Two more and you're out. Well, this just made George angry. He had moved out of the dust cloud and removed his goggles. His senses were slowly coming back to him. He reached down and picked out a pigeon poo pie and launched it across the ditch. It hit Big Ed right on the head. Before he could even be splodged, Ed picked up the super soaker and squirted it across the ditch. George and Lola were out of range but he emptied his load and managed to get Batman, Gina and Jimmy Zinger. Good work Ed! shouted Izzy. And that's when St Bertie struck back. Batman, Gina and Lola were holding what looked like pink water balloons filled with something. They threw them high into the air whilst Lola quickly pulled out what looked like a pistol of some sort and fired at the balloons. She was a good shot and all three balloons exploded in mid-air. Only now could Alex and his team see what was coming towards them. Hundreds and hundreds of peanuts in a sticky satay sauce. They scattered far and wide but there was nowhere to hide. Alex tried to bat them away with a tennis racket but it was no use. They all took a nutty hit and got a splodge. Meanwhile... George had located the Captain America shield and was using it to fend off the potatoes and parsnips with ease. Pinky, who had been throwing herself left, right and centre, blocking all sorts, dusted herself down from the peanuts and shouted, Oi, Georgie sweetheart, I have a present for you! And then she she launched a pineapple heading straight for George's head. George quickly pulled up the shield for protection but didn't know what was to come. The pineapple smashed into the shield and the porridge exploded everywhere, getting George on the shoulder and Lola on the legs. Two more splodges. After the first chaotic minutes, the play slowed down as the players got their breath and there was some classic dodging, ducking and dipping from both teams. HONK! The horn went to signal the end of the first period and the beginning of the two-minute timeout. Well done, everyone. We're still in this, panted Alex. George already has two splodges. So do I, said Big Ed. Yes, said to Alex. You're going to need to be a team player. You need to take out as many of them as you can before you get hit again. We'll cover you with pork pie and pea balloon crossfire and you grab the other super soaker. It's still half full, Pinky added. And it stinks. What did you put in it? <laughs> yeah, that's my wee, laughed Ed. Pea and potato soup. Get it? Oh, that's gross, Jenny said. We need to try and take out Jimmy Zinger, Alex said. He's super fast and keeping their chuckers well stocked. Pinky, you take another pineapple bomb. Jenny, you're on pizza discs. The horn blasted to signal the start of the second period. The green machine had got organized and they came out fighting. Large balls of dried pasta dripping in a green sauce came flying towards them with one immediately catching Jenny on the leg as she dived for cover. Two splodges for her. Big Ed and Pinky drove forward without fear towards the incoming projectiles. Big Ed caught a couple of pickled pickles before diving to the ground. Pinky, however, wasn't so lucky and couldn't dodge a prawn cocktail onslaught. Two splodges for her. Ed grabbed the super soaker, rolled to his right as a pasta ball hit where he just lay and fired. He discharged what was left of the stinky soup in one hit. At the same time, Pinky launched a pineapple bomb. Gina, wearing the baseball glove and parrying a pizza dick, saw the scoop coming and ducked only to let an unsighted Batman take another soaking behind her. Pinky's pineapple targeted little Jimmy Zinger, who was heading towards the barrel. Pinky's aim was good, but Jimmy was too fast and the pineapple missed him. But the exploding porridge did not. Two splodges to Jimmy, who paused for a moment to wipe the pink porridge from his face, and Alex saw his chance. He immediately launched a pork pie, and as Jimmy looked up he opened his mouth in horror, which was immediately plugged with the meaty pie. You're out of here, roared a voice from the sidelines, and with that Jimmy trudged off with three splodges, but at least he got to eat the surprisingly tasty pork pie. Big Ed quickly followed him. The heroics of the super soaker had left him exposed, and had taken a hit from a well-aimed paella. It was now four aside, but four quickly became three as Jenny took a pork chop to the chops. She had to leave the field, but just before being hit, Jenny had launched a pepperoni and pruned pizza disc that splattered poor Batman in the face. He was gone too. Meanwhile, Alex's arm was getting weary from so much throwing. All the pears, parsnips, and potatoes had been used. He had picked off Gina with a nice pear, but he hadn't managed to dodge a supersized pig in a blanket. Then, disaster struck. Izzy Whiz tripped over a divot and twisted her ankle. She couldn't move. George Dismal was just about to launch a rotten pomegranate at her when she was saved by the bell. Or the horn, to be precise. The honk sounded to signal the end of the second period. "'I'm OK,' said Izzy. "'But I can't run. I'm a sitting duck.' "'OK, recap,' said Alex. "'Pink and I have got two splodges. "'Izzy's only got one, but she can't run. "'George and Gina are both on two. "'Lola's still on one.' "'What have we got left?' "'Izzy said, looking towards the barrel.' We're running low, Pinky said. We've got two pineapple bombs, but the surprise is gone. There are only three of them now, and they know to scarper. Then we've got a few pork pies and a couple of pizzas. We're in trouble, aren't we? Izzy, can you walk? Can you draw their fire? Alex asked. Izzy nodded. She was made of tough stuff, and she knew what she had to do. She had to sacrifice herself for the team. Pinky, take a pineapple bomb man. honk! The third period began. Izzy hobbled down the left flank, and Pinky and Alex scuttled right. Pinky quickly released her pineapple bomb, but there was a problem. She'd slipped and a bomb went high in the air and plopped into the watery ditch and sat there bobbing with its porridgey contents still inside. It bobbed for all of three seconds before a shoal of prawn attacked the pineapple in a frenzy, jumping and splashing like miniature madmen with an empty belly and daggers for teeth. Lona and Gina, distracted by the feeding frenzy, couldn't move quickly enough to avoid Alex's bomb and both got splattered with porridge. Gina was out, but so was Izzy. George had picked her off with the ease of a couple of pungent passion fruit, but she had bought her team valuable time. Alex threw a parsnip and pickled pizza at George, but he battered away with his shield. Lola fired a rotten baby pumpkin towards Alex. It was straight and it was true, and Alex had no hope of avoiding it. No hope, that was, until Pinky died to her left, in what seemed like slow motion, like a Premier League goalie tipping a shot over the crossbar. However, the pumpkin didn't go over the bar. It shattered on Pinky's arm, spraying her with stinky, rotting pumpkin juice. Alex was safe, but Pinky was out. It was just Alex left and he was down to his last pork pie. George and Lola stood side by side on the other side of the ditch, both catching their breath. The situation was hopeless. But George then flinched, his face flicking to one side and then the other, like being bitten by an angry mosquito attempting a personal best in a biting competition. Lola looked at him distracted. What was the weirdo doing, she thought. Alex saw his chance. He immediately took aim with a pork pie and Lola was in trouble but with the reactions of a panther and a flick of the wrist, she caught the pork pie millimetres from her stomach. Alex, his hopes of victory dashed, could be sure Lola gave him another smile as she instinctively tossed the meaty treat aside and into the ditch. What now? Alex thought as he dived to the ground. He could see George still squirming from side to side on the other side of the ditch, like a demented breakdancer and Lola looking for more ammo. What was he going to do? And then he saw it. Hope. Right in front of him was the egg, right next to the butterfly net. The same egg that George had thrown before the battle, and it was still intact. He still had a chance to take one of them out. If he was going to lose, he was going to go out fighting. Then out of the corner of his eyes, Alex saw something he could hardly believe. Something so crazy it couldn't be true, yet he instantly knew it was. Up to his neck in grass, and hidden by a smashed-up pecan pie, was a man, no more than two inches high, firing frozen peas out of a miniature cannon. Crikey! "'I'm either hallucinating or that's mad Pete the pirate. "'Flibbermajibber, he's real!' "'And he was, firing frozen peas at George and shouting naughty words. "'One at Lola, please, Pete, then back to George!' "'Arrrr!' cried Pete, who clearly seemed to be enjoying himself. "'And without a second thought, Alex rolled to the left and jumped to his feet "'while scooping up the egg in his right hand and the net in his left. "'He ran directly for George and Lola, "'who were now both trying to ward off the frozen pea attack.' Alex leapt high and threw the egg fast and true. The egg spanned through the air and splattered into Lola's shoulder, catching her by surprise. The yolk dripped down her arm. Three splodges. She was out. Without stopping, like some kind of super cool ninja, Alex did a forward roll to the bank of the ditch, spun round 360 degrees with a butterfly net, catching a piranha in mid leap as it made its beeline for the floating pork pie, and in the same motion launched it straight towards George Dismal. Piers for piranha, Georgie boy. "'Alex said under his breath. "'George was so stunned by what he was witnessing "'he stood there gobsmacked with his mouth wide open "'as the prana sped towards him "'and firmly planted its vicious teeth into his nose. "'George fainted. "'The battle was over. "'St. Cuthbert's had won.' "'Chapter 18. "'Victory. "'For Alex, the next few minutes were a blur of noise "'as the lesser bogglers invaded the pitch to hug their heroes "'and pull more faces across the ditch.' mad Pete he thought he's going to get trampled it'll be one inch Pete if he's not careful but then he caught a glimpse of his brother Joe across the field giving him the thumbs up and clapping and with that Alex knew Pete was safe Alex feeling relieved exhilarated, and ecstatic all at the same time fell to the floor and lay on a clear food free piece of lush green grass on the battlefield looking up at the beautiful blue sky clouds were beginning to form one even looked like a hand with a thumb pointed downwards the wind was getting up A shadow was cast across Alex and a hand was thrust towards him. Startled, Alex flinched and then he realised it was nothing to be afraid of. It was Pinky. She was holding out her hand and helped Alex to his feet. You've got some good moves, little man. Not bad. Not bad at all, Pinky said. Thanks, Pinky, said Alex, taking a hand and getting to his feet. Friends, Alex said. I wouldn't go that far, sweet cheeks, but you're all right. I've got your back. Before Alex could say another word, Pinky ruffled his hair and walked off to see if she could make fun of George Dismal and his swollen piranha-bitten nose. Epilogue As the church clock struck midnight, the compost heap at number four badger's bottom was giving off a yellowish steam into the cool night air, and then it rustled. And then it rustled again. Was it a mouse that made the heap its house? Was it a cat trying to catch the mouse? Was it an unidentified flying octopus? top of the heap was a broken jar from which spilled a yellowish sludge which sizzled and fizzled and bizzled as it combined with the leftovers from that night's dinner scraps and then that rustling again and movement definitely movement in the bright moonlight and as the villagers of Lesser Boggle soundly slept content in the greatness of the day that had just passed new life was emerging from the garden of number four badger's bottom the shadowy silhouette of a figure rose up who are you said a voice hey Hello, old Bean. Lovely evening, eh? You can call me, um, Pancake. Captain Pancake, said the walking, talking, miniature Pancake, with little Pancake legs and little Pancake arms and a thin slice of lemon for a hat. Are you on your own? said the voice. Alas, no, old chap. The others already made a run for it like cowardly custards. In fact, I think one may actually have been custard, mused the talking Pancake. Fancy a game of backgammon? said Mad Pete, swigging from a miniature bottle of whiskey and not looking the slightest bit fazed by the talking batter as if it was the most normal occurrence in the world. Splendid idea, old bean. Don't mind if I do. Got a spare glass and the patience to explain the rules? And with that, the weirdness that seemed to engulf everything about the boggles had just been upgraded. It had levelled up. The end. Well, my oh my, dear readers, I do hope you enjoy that as much as I did. I thought it was simply wonderful. And guess what? This is just book one. Book one of five. I will be back with book two, The Boggle Thief, coming soon. I hope you will join me. Until next time, see you later, alligators.